Hi, this is Father Don Planty, pastor of St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the St. Charles Church Talks podcast. Tonight, St. Charles Parish begins its annual observance of 40 hours of solemn Eucharistic adoration, 40 hours of continuous Eucharistic adoration in anticipation of the celebration of our patronal feast this Friday, November 4th, the feast of St. Charles Borromeo. And so this evening I'm offering a reflection on lessons we can learn from the life of St. Charles. First, to situate St. Charles in his historical and pastoral context, St. Charles died in 1584, November 4th, 1584, at the age of 46. So he spans the center of the 16th century, which of course is a time of great change in the church. Remember that the middle of the 1500s was the time of the great change in the church because of the end of the great decadence of the high middle ages and of the Renaissance, when the church and especially the clergy in many ways was corrupt, had lost her way in so many ways. The clergy were guilty oftentimes of concubinage and of usury, of nepotism, and of the selling of ecclesiastical offices. There was so much decay and rot in the church that that brought about a great revolt by the Protestants, popularly called the Reformation. I prefer to refer to it as a revolt, but they had understandable issues with the church. The problem is they threw the baby out with the bathwater and embraced a number of erroneous theological positions, but there was great foment in Europe, great division in Europe, and even wars of religion in Europe in the mid-1500s. Europe was ripped apart by the Protestant revolt. Uh, but there, there was a great response by the church in what's popularly called the Catholic Counter-Reformation, which was actually the true reform of the church, the true reformation. And that took place especially in and through the Council of Trent. Council of Trent, one of the great ecumenical councils of the church, there have been 21 ecumenical councils. So Trent would have been the 19th ecumenical council. It took place from 1545 to 1563 and brought about great reforms in the church. Great reforms in the church because the church was so in need of reform. And so it made sure that the sacraments would be celebrated faithfully, that the faith would be taught comprehensively and clearly and that charity would be lived by the church. And it responded to all of the Protestant denials of fundamental truths of the faith and the denials of certain sacraments and the validity of certain sacraments. St. Charles was a major figure in this counter-reformation, in this true reform. As a matter of fact, he was, at the age of 22, Cardinal Secretary of State for his uncle Pius IV. Now, it seems pretty crazy to be the number two, basically the right-hand man of the Pope, when you're 22 years old and you think it's probably nepotism because his uncle was the Pope, right? But the fact is Pius IV was a reformer and that's why he recognized the extraordinary talents of his nephew and didn't hesitate to make his nephew his Cardinal Secretary of State. As Cardinal Secretary of State, since the, the great reform council was taking place in Trent in Northern Italy, the Pope stayed in Rome, but he had three Cardinal legates or his delegates who presided over the council up in Trent. Well, the man who was in charge of sort of all the correspondence, the instructions going from the Holy Father to the legates at Trent and from the legates back to the Holy Father was, of course, Charles Borromeo. At the same time, he was named by his uncle, Archbishop of Milan. And so in 1564, he went to Milan and took possession of the Archdiocese of Milan, which was then the largest archdiocese in Europe and is still to this day the largest archdiocese in Europe. 
Uh, Milan at the time of St. Charles had about 3,000 clergy and uh, almost half a million faithful spread throughout the archdiocese, which spread up even into the mountains uh, in the Piemonte, in the Piedmont region of northern Italy. The times of St. Charles and the council and the reforms necessary after the council because of the division of the world, the division of the Christian world, and the, the overturning of the old Catholic order in Europe, no longer being Catholic Christendom, but now divided between Protestants and deniers of Catholic truth and the Catholic Church, kind of reflects also our time, which is why the life of St. Charles and the work of St. Charles is also relevant for us today. We too are living in a turbulent era and a post-conciliar era of reform. Just as in the time of St. Charles, there was the great opposition of the rationalist age that was growing, and uh, there was the great opposition of the Protestants and the denial of the truths of the church in his time, so in our time, the church deals with the denials of the truths of the faith in the opposition of the rationalist era and the secular states and the atheistic ideologies, including Marxism and fascism and communism, everything that's happened over the last, since the French Revolution, really, in terms of the modern era and its opposition to the church. At the same time, like the Council of Trent responded to that great division in culture, in the faith, in Europe at the time of St. Charles, in our time, the Second Vatican Council responded to these great alienations from the church through atheism and rationalism. And the purpose of the Second Vatican Council, which met from 1962 to 1965, was to enable the church to meet the challenges of bringing the truth of the gospel to the modern era and responding to these modern divisions and denials. And like St. Charles, and today in the church, thanks to the reforms of the Second Vatican Council and the great apostolates of the church, the church is offering clearer teaching, greater fidelity to the sacraments, and greater service to the needy. That is emphasizing what is true and beautiful and good. That by way of introduction, by way of background to the life and times of St. Charles and how it's similar to our own time. A time of reform, a time of renewal of the church in response to a time of confusion and division in the world. Well, the first lesson from the life of St. Charles I want to share with you is be willing to sacrifice and suffer in order to serve God. St. Charles grew up in a ducal family, that is, his, they, they were dukes of Milan, and uh, St. Charles, from a tender age, wanted to be a priest. He wanted to serve God as a cleric, and he decided to renounce the ducal crown even though the family begged him to follow his birthright and to embrace it and be the duke, he gave up the ducal crown for the priesthood. He was willing to sacrifice nobility, honor, wealth, to be a clergyman. Right? So he's willing to sacrifice in order to serve God. He also suffered greatly in that service of the Lord, especially once he took up the position of Archbishop of Milan. When St. Charles rode into Milan in 1564 to take possession of the archdiocese, it had been without a resident bishop for 70 years. And part of the great reforms of the Council of Trent were to mandate that bishops had to actually reside and be in their dioceses and governing them and ministering to them. In the great uh, decadence of the Renaissance era, 
bishops you know, spent most of their time on holiday or at the court in Rome uh, having a great time rather than actually ministering to their flock and their dioceses. So in 1564, the first time in 70 years a bishop was gonna actually reside in Milan, St. Charles rides in in full pontificals with his cope and a mitre and his crozier on a white mule and the people hail him in the streets as a new St. Ambrose, that other great saint of Milan from the fifth century. But he was greatly opposed in his new authority as he came to assert authority, authority which was rightly his as the Archbishop of Milan, but also authority uh, in the civil, civil sphere as well. So for example, from the beginning, the lay authorities, the civil authorities opposed a lot of his initiatives as the Archbishop. Because in those days, actually, there were civil courts and civil jails, but there were also ecclesiastical jails. And there were certain uh, powers that the ecclesiastical authorities had even over certain civil matters. So for example, St. Charles came into Milan and he decreed that any taverns or restaurants who served meat on Friday, those people would be arrested and put in ecclesiastical jails, right? And so he did, and the civil authorities went nuts because of course that was hindering commerce and, and who did he think he was to do this, but that was within his rights as archbishop. In any event, he jealously guarded the privileges of the church and had to deal with a lot of opposition from the civil leadership because of that. He was also opposed by the clergy because what he was sent to do as the Archbishop of Milan was to implement the reforms of the Council of Trent, and that is get rid of all the clerical abuses and scandals that existed in the church in Milan and throughout the church. Again, the purpose of Trent was to reform the church, and it realized that if the reform was going to take place, it had to start with the reform of the clergy. If the clergy was faithful, then the people would be getting the, tr faith, the true teachings of the church, the sacraments would be celebrated for them, and charity would be administered to them, since they are the shepherds of the people. And because St. Charles mandated that his clergy follow the norms of the that they should be celibate, as they, that they should be poor, that they should be serving their people, and following all the norms and decrees of the Council of Trent, as well as the ordinary laws of the church, a number of clergy that didn't like it uh, opposed him. Uh, to the point where he was even shot once. He was in his chapel kneeling in front of the Blessed Sacrament and a disgruntled religious priest came to the back of the chapel and took out his musket and shot St. Charles and knocked him over. St. Charles thought he had maybe died. He thought he was dying. As it turns out, the, uh, the uh, musket ball went through his surplice and uh, touched his uh, cassock but just left a welt on St. Charles and didn't, didn't hurt him very much at all. I understand I've never been to Milan. I hope to lead a pilgrimage there next year. Uh, but I understand they have that surplus of St. Charles preserved with the hole in it that the bullet shot through it. In any event, that's the kind of clergy St. Charles was dealing with. Lesson number one from the life of St. Charles, be willing to sacrifice and suffer in order to serve God, in order to do the will of God and the task that he's given you and the task that you embrace to do for him to be a faithful Catholic Christian. Lesson number two from the life of St. Charles, perseverance. So St. Charles, as I said, took up his, uh, took up his, uh, he uh, took, uh, he took, uh, he took over as Archbishop of Milan in 1564, but he's actually named Archbishop of Milan over a year earlier. And he was begging his uncle, the Pope, to let him go and go to Milan and begin the reforms. But his, the Pope, his uncle, wanted to have him nearby because he was helping him govern the Universal Church and bringing the Council of Trent to a successful conclusion. And St. Charles would beg, let me go, let me go take up the position, because he was already Archbishop of Milan, but he, he wasn't there in Milan, he was in Rome. Let me take up the position. No, the Pope said, let me go, let me go. Finally, after over a year, the Pope relented and let him go. And so he took up his uh, position as Archbishop of Milan. 
He was also persevering, so he persevered in patience in that regard, knowing that his heart was and where he wanted to be was with his flock, governing his flock and instituting those great reforms. But the Pope needed him by his side, and so he had to be patient and persevere. He also persevered in his great reforms in Milan. Again, he was opposed by the civil authorities, imposed, opposed by a lot of the clergy as well. But he was tough. He had great fortitude, and he persevered in implementing his reforms. And he led by his example. He led by his example. The clergy found St. Charles hard to take because he was there reforming the clergy, but the people adored him because he was in the streets, and I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. He, was the, he led by example in terms of preaching and teaching the faith. He led by example in terms of celebrating and offering the sacraments. He led by example in terms of taking care of the poor and offering charity and fellowship to others. More than his priestess, the people responded to him with great enthusiasm, even as the clergy was disgruntled because he was forcing them to change their sinful ways and reform the clergy. Lesson number two from the life of St. Charles, perseverance, patience and perseverance in the tasks that God has given us to do. Lesson number three from the life of St. Charles, young people can do extraordinary and great things for God. St. Charles Borromeo was a cardinal and cardinal secretary of state, basically the vice pope, the number two right-hand man to the pope, as it still is today, when he was 22 years old. Young people can have great gifts and be very capable and do great things for God. That's also seen by his establishment of the great seminary of Milan. Before the Council of Trent, formation of the clergy was a rather loose affair. Young men that wanted to be priests would be apprenticed to a priest in a parish and they'd kind of read some manuals or learn some basic stuff and then get they'd be examined by a bishop and if they passed some basic questions, they got it ordained and they were sent off to be a priest. But there was not the formality of seminaries where guys spent years in formal formation in the liturgy, in theology, and in spiritual life. Well, Saint, one of the reforms of the Council of Trent was established that seminaries should be set up in every diocese and presided over by their bishop. And St. Charles was a model in that regard. As a matter of fact, he is the patron saint of seminaries and seminarians to this day. Well, he established a great seminary in Milan, and he himself was often there. He was the great father of the seminary. And uh, so he was a real mentor to young people and realized these young men could embrace the strenuous life of the priesthood, could embrace the true reformed priesthood, and could do great things for God despite their youth. He himself was Archbishop of Milan for 20 years, 1564 to 1584 when he died, 20 years, and he died at the age of 46. That is 10 years my junior. And we remember him 450 years later as a great saint, a great priest, great bishop, great reformer. And, uh, you know, what have I done with my life? I'm, I'm 56, and he died at 46, and, you know, he, 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 he transformed the largest archdiocese in Europe and is venerated to this day there in the crypt of the cathedral as one of their patron saints. Lesson number three, young people can do great things for God. Lesson number four from the life of St. Charles, humility. The Borromeo family crest, of course, he gave up the ducal crown, so he did not become the duke and did not inherit the title and all the wealth, but he did, uh, he did still keep the family coat of arms because it was the name that goes along with the Borromeo family. And the Borromeo family coat of arms is simply a blue field with a gold crown and underneath the word humilitas, humility in Latin. St. Charles, though, improvised the coat of arms. He had the H and the L raised 
so that the crown actually rested on the word humility. So it was humility that held up the crown. St. Charles embraced the motto of his family, humility. Because what is humility? Well, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say, humilitas est veritas. Humility is truth. We think of humility as, you know, bowing and scraping and, you know. Sort of. Humility is truth, and that is having a true sense of who we are, who we are in a relationship to God, and to others, and to ourselves. And the fundamental truth of our existence is that we are weak, imperfect, and sinful, and we need God. He is God, and we are not. And so we need to give ourselves over to him, abandon ourselves to divine providence, and recognize the truth of our situation, that we need him, and without him we can do nothing. With him, we can do extraordinary things, like St. Charles himself. So lesson number four from the life of St. Charles, the importance of humility, a foundational virtue of the spiritual life. We need God. Lesson number five, well, the next two lessons, the next three lessons, which are the last three lessons, five, six, and seven, are those three fundamental pillars of the missions of Christ, the missions of all the baptized, the mission of the church, that is the prophetic, the priestly, and the shepherding mission. Lesson number five, know, proclaim, and defend the faith, the truth of the faith. St. Charles Borromeo was valiant in knowing, proclaiming, and defending the Catholic faith against the present denials of the truths of the, of the church. You've probably heard the term CCD, right? A lot of us grew up going to CCD. I went to public school, so I went to what we called CCD. Uh, today here, like in this parish, we call it religious education. CCD actually stands for something, which is the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine. The CC, the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine was founded by St. Charles Borromeo. And what was it? It was, it was a, a system of training and teaching lay people to teach the faith to children. Because back in the time of St. Charles, generally, children were prepared for their first confession, their first communion, their confirmation. They were taught by clergy and religious. Well, St. Charles is like, we need to empower the laity, we need to teach them the faith, and then make them catechists and let them help us priests teach the faith to children. So the confraternity of Christian doctrine is the confraternity of catechists. So St. Charles Borromeo is also the patron saint of catechists. Another thing St. Charles did, which was extraordinary to help the knowledge and proclamation and defense of the Catholic faith was the publication of what was called the Roman Catechism. Up until the same time of St. Charles, there were different books on the faith by different saints and different manuals of theology. St. Charles Borromeo oversaw the publication of the Roman Catechism, the first handy one volume explanation of the Catholic faith. We are all used to having a catechism because thanks to Pope John Paul II, uh, he decided that the church needed a new universal official catechism. And so we all have the catechism of the Catholic Church, which I hope you have a copy of and you use and you read and you peruse. I'll talk about that a little more in a second. But, uh, but believe it or not, that's only the second universal catechism in the history of the church. The first one was that that was overseen by St. Charles Borromeo. And it was ingenious because it's divided into the four pillars like the current catechism is, the, the profession of faith, what we believe, the celebration of the Christian mystery, how we celebrate what we believe, liturgy and sacraments, life in Christ, how we live what we believe, the commandments, and finally, prayer. It's the same order of the current catechism, those four pillars of the life of Christ and of the church, right? But it's ingenious because it was especially made for priests and for pastors. Remember, St. Charles realized, as the Council of Trent realized, that if the reforms were going to take place, if people had true doctrine contrary to Protestant errors and were receiving the sacraments, 
that we're not getting before, that had to start with the reform of the clergy. And the Catechism of the Council of Trent was especially prepared for pastors, because not only does it have those four pillars of the faith explained, but it has an extraordinary appendix, which for every Sunday of the liturgical year told the pastor what dogmatic truth he should teach on and where he finds it in the catechism, and what moral, moral truth he should preach on and where he finds it in the catechism. So every pastor knew, say it's you know, fifth Sunday in ordinary time, in the back of the, of the, of the catechism it said, here's what you're gonna preach in terms of the truth of the faith, here's what you're gonna preach in terms of Christian life and morals, and here's where you find it in the catechism. Brilliant tool for pastors to know how to preach the faith comprehensively throughout the liturgical year, thanks to St. Charles Borromeo. Of course, uh, St. John Paul II's baptismal name was, anybody? Carol with a K, right, which is Polish for Charles, right? He was, his patron saint was Charles Borromeo, which is why when he was Pope, November 4th, St. Charles Day was a holiday at the Vatican. In any event, it's no accident that St. Charles was the great author of the Roman Catechism and the great uh, author of the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church was his namesake, Carol Wojtyła, John Paul II. So lesson number five is know, proclaim, and defend the faith. We have to study the faith. We have to be able to explain it and defend it. And one of the greatest tools we have is our catechism of the Catholic Church given to us by Saint Pope, Saint John Paul II. Lesson number six, live the sacraments. Against the Protestant denial of the sacraments, especially the sacraments of penance, the sacrament of the priesthood, the sacrament of the most blessed sacrament, their denial of these sacraments, the church emphasized the beauty of the seven sacraments given to us by Christ and entrusted to his church. And St. Charles led by example, personally celebrating and administering the sacraments to thousands of people, whether it was anointing of the sick for those who were dying that he would visit, the public celebration of masses and preaching at masses. When he was archbishop, the plague famously hit Milan and really devastated Milan to the point where the civil authorities fled to the hills because they didn't want to get the plague and die. St. Charles basically took over the administration of the city of Milan. And not only took care of the administration in terms of the distribution of food and clothing and certain, um, and certain um, uh, other, other uh, healthcare initiatives to make sure that the plague wasn't spread, but of course he led spiritually and especially in terms of getting the sacraments to those who were sick and dying of the plague. One thing he did, for example, is he had the priests set up public altars in all the public squares of Milan and in the streets of Milan so people didn't have to leave their homes and go to churches and risk spreading the plague to one another, but they could, from the windows of their apartments, from their homes, they could hear mass, that is, they could follow mass that was being celebrated out in the square outside of their home. But St. Charles led by example in terms of living the sacraments, and we must follow his example of being absolutely faithful to the sacraments. Of course, Sunday Mass, daily Mass more frequently if we can, fidelity to frequent confession, and uh, not just live the sacraments, but invite and call others to the sacraments, especially anyone we know who may be a fallen away Catholic or anyone who's a non-Catholic Christian who has to be drawn to the fullness of the sacramental life in and through the Catholic Church. Lesson number six, from the life of St. Charles, rigorously, faithfully lived the sacraments. The final lesson from the life of St. Charles, lesson number six, serve the poor. So St. Charles, although he did not inherit the ducal crown, still got his fair share of the Borromeo family fortune. However, during his time as archbishop, he basically 
gave it all away to the poor. He personally provided for the feeding of thousands of people daily from his own personal fortune, especially from the, during the plague. Thousands of people daily were fed from the fortunes of St. Charles, and he himself often would feed them himself in person. Uh, he would clothe them, he would feed them. They, there was almost not a stick of furniture left in the archbishop's residence when he died because he sold everything to, to feed and clothe and take care of the health of the sick and the poor. He reminds us that the church, following the teaching and example of Jesus, has a preferential love for the poor. Jesus came especially to proclaim the good news to the poor, to those who are especially needy at every level. And we need to follow Christ's command and the church's example and St. Charles's example, serving and being generous to the poor. It's laudable, like St. Charles did, to give cash for the needs of the poor, but it's also even better, like St. Charles did himself personally as the Archbishop of Milan, to serve the poor face to face in soup kitchens, in other places where we can, homeless shelters, uh, in other places where we can encounter the poor, whether it's at Mother Teresa's sisters downtown, uh, Christ, Christ House homeless shelter in Alexandria, food pantries all over our diocese. There are many opportunities to serve the poor. You can go to the Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Arlington website and find all list of all the 50-some volunteer opportunities that there are. They even have a full-time volunteer coordinator. You want to you get to work serving the poor? All I have to do is call and say, look, I got Thursday nights free on a regular basis. Where can I help? They'll put you to work, right? Lesson number six from the life of St. Charles, serve the poor, not only with your donations, but also with your time face to face. These are the lessons, some of the lessons we can learn from the life of St. Charles. Lesson number one, be willing to sacrifice and suffer in order to serve God and, and, and deal with opposition. Lesson number two, patience and perseverance in that will of God. Lesson number three, young people can do extraordinary things for God. Lesson number four, the importance of humility in the spiritual life. Lesson number five, know, proclaim, and defend the faith. Lesson number six, live the sacraments faithfully. Lesson number, I'm sorry, lesson number, yeah, lesson number seven, serve the poor with your cash and face to face. These are the lessons we can learn from the life of St. Charles Borromeo. I encourage you to read more about his life. There are different lives written about him. There's always Wikipedia on St. Charles, basic facts, and some great information about him there. An extraordinary man of God uh, who we honor with great love and devotion, of course, in this parish, which is named for him. We recently commissioned a new portrait of St. Charles by the great artist Henry Wingate, who is out, lives out in uh, Clark County in Front Royal, Virginia. And uh, this is the first time we're exposing it for public veneration. We are waiting on a new frame, and when we have the new and, and better frame, we'll be hanging it permanently here in the church. But we're happy to share this beautiful image of our patron saint here at St. Charles. And so tonight normally is P3, right? Prayer, penance, and pub. But because we are beginning 40 hours of adoration, we do not have any pub time tonight. And there's no benediction now because the Blessed Sacrament will remain exposed all night tonight all day tomorrow, Thursday, all Thursday night, and all day Friday, culminating with benediction of the Most Blessed Sacrament after a brief reflection on the life of St. Charles on Friday at 6.30. During the next 40 hours, Jesus will be here. Come back, spend some time with him. You can come at 2 in the morning, you can come at 3 in the afternoon, come anytime until 6.30 p.m. on Friday. Jesus will be here waiting for you. And by the way, before I forget, 
the man who invented the 40 hours devotion was St. Charles Borromeo. Remember, 40 is a very significant number for us. It's a number, biblical number of preparation, preparation and formation, right? The children of Israel were 40 years in the desert, right? Moses was 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain receiving the law of the Lord. Jesus was 40 days in the desert praying before his public ministry. There were 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension to heaven of Jesus. He prepared his disciples to go forth and, uh, and begin the foundation of the church, right? So St. Charles came up with this devotion of 40 continuous hours of Eucharistic adoration. St. John Newman pretty much brought it to the fourth bishop of Philadelphia, brought it to the United States, and it's grown throughout the United States over time. It, I have a great devotion to 40 hours, and everywhere I've been as a pastor or as a chaplain, I've introduced it. This is our eighth year of celebrating 40 hours here at St. Charles since I arrived eight years ago. But uh, thanks to St. Charles, we have this great devotion. We spend these 40 hours devoted to the Lord, and then on Friday we celebrate him. So I commend St. Charles to, to your exam, to, as an example for you, and I commend his intercession to your prayers. And I ask you especially please to remember me and my parish in your prayers to St. Charles in the coming days, and especially on Friday. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to subscribe, and if you enjoyed our show, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. May God bless you.